0: Listening to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. Thanks for joining with us today. This year we have begun a new series titled Your Kingdom Come, based on the Old Testament book of 1st and 2 Samuel. This is a book that calls us to action. The text prods and pokes us with this great question: Will you submit your life to the Son of God? It's a call to humble ourselves before this King and trust in Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thanks for joining with us today. Well, would you open up your Bibles this morning and turn them to First Samuel chapter 12. God has spoken in his word and he speaks to us today and this is God's word for you in this moment, First Samuel chapter 12, hear the word of God. And Samuel said to all Israel, behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you and I am old and gray and behold, my sons are with you and I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you and His anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that He performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, and your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them and they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubal, and Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the King who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your King. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Father, we have read your word this morning. We are gathered here to receive it, and we ask now that you would speak to us, and that you would turn our hearts to you, that we might receive your word and be changed even in this moment. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so let's start here this morning. We've read the chapter, and now we need to set ourselves up to receive this word from God. So you've made a, a mass or to put it another way. You've sinned. It may have been something to do with, with anger. You were offended. You were, you were put off. You were rubbed the wrong way. And so what happened? Your angry words flew out of your mouth and they, they smacked into someone. Or perhaps it was a matter of lust. You, you made a covenant with your eyes that you would only set before your eyes that which is good and true, that would edify you and move you towards the Lord. But you've broken the covenant with your eyes and you have set before your eyes that which doesn't edify. And now you find yourself in the sewer with sewage and and filth. Perhaps it has something to do with fear. You know the will of God. The will of God is clear for your life, what God requires of you and how you ought to live. But there's just so much pressure pressure to, to follow along. It's like you were launched into this current and the current is so strong that you cannot get out of it or swim against it. And so you just went along with the current. You, you towed the company line, whatever that might be. You, you kept your head down. You stayed out of trouble. And now your conscience is upset and you're stuck in this compromised position. And we could keep going on this morning, thinking about the messes we make because of our sin. Because there are so many different varieties of sin. There's envy, there's greed, there's, there's laziness, there's cowardness, there's bitterness, there's unthankfulness. But here's the point. You, you have made a mess. Somehow, some way. the mess is in front of you. You see it, you can feel it, you know it. You can't maneuver around the mess without stepping in the mess and making the mess worse. And so here's the question. What do you do with the mess that you've made? What what do you do with your sin? Is there anything that can be done about it? We can turn to the text of Scripture this morning and we see that Israel made a mess. And the mess that they made wasn't an ordinary, run-of-the-mill sort of mess. It wasn't a glass of spilt milk. Rather, it was a big mess. It was a mess that threatened the very fabric of Israel's relationship with their covenant God. If you were to put this mess on a scale, this mess would border on the level of catastrophe. What happened? you remember? Well, out of fear, out of anxiety, out of doubt, Israel demanded a king like all the other nations had. And really this whole matter was this. They were sick of living by faith and they wanted a real and tangible security. They were done living a life of dependence upon the Lord. They were, they were sick and tired of waiting on the Lord to, to save them. And, and so they, they demanded a king in this demand that they made of the Lord and Samuel was an act of treason for in this demand they rejected their one true king. And so we see in this story that Israel rejected Yahweh. They rejected God. And as we think about this whole scene, as we think about this mess of Israel, we have to understand this, that the sin that we see here of Israel's wasn't an oops or a whoops. As we see this played out in the text of Scripture, this was a deliberate and and flagrant sin on the part of Israel. Remember chapter 8. Samuel came to them and he he preached this sermon and he, he warned them about the king. He's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take. You're going to be his his slaves. But what did Israel say to them, to Samuel and to the Lord? Chapter 8, verse 19. No, there shall be a king over us that we may be like all the nations. And so we ask as we read this story, as we've seen this sin play out and as we've seen this big mess get made, Is there anything that can be done about Israel's mess? Is there anything that can be done about Israel's sin? Is there some way back to God for them? And so we've got both of our situations this morning. We've got our own sin. We've got Israel's sin. And we ask, is there an answer in the text of Scripture? And the good news is that there is an answer. And the answer is right in front of us in chapter 12. So chapter 12 comes at the the end of this long drawn-out process remember that process chapter 9 chapter 10 chapter 11 it's Saul's ascension to the throne of Israel we worked through the three stages of ascension last week there's a designation somebody pointed the finger at Saul there's a demonstration and a failed demonstration Saul has to prove himself to be the king and then there's a confirmation and so at the end of this long process of Saul's ascension to kingship Samuel brings the Word of God to bear upon Israel, and specifically, Samuel brings the Word of God to bear upon the, the mess of Israel's sin. We need to think about chapter 12 because chapter 12 is quite a scene. if you can just picture it in your mind. Samuel's old and gray. So you've got this old man, and this is his last address to. Israel. This is almost a a Moses-like moment with the people of God. And all the people of God are gathered before this old man. And Samuel begins to preach to them. And he begins his sermon by speaking about himself. And he stresses in the beginning of this sermon his own integrity, his own faithfulness. And then Samuel changes the direction of his sermon after speaking about himself, and he starts to speak about the Lord, and he stresses the Lord's faithfulness to Israel. And then Samuel gets to the meat of his sermon, the the point. Every sermon's got a point, and his point is this. Israel has forsaken the Lord. And when we listen to Samuel carefully this morning, we're going to find that Samuel's attempting to accomplish three ends with his preaching. So I want to list them to you as we begin. So he's attempting to produce a, a deep conviction within the hearts of Israel. So as he's preaching this sermon with everybody gathered before him. Samuel wants to produce a deep conviction within these people. Second, he is attempting to issue forth a clear call to direct these people back to God. Samuel has recognized that these people have forsaken God, and so he's going to call them so that they might return to God. And third, he's attempting to create within Israel a rock-solid confidence in the graciousness and goodness of God. And so if we were to boil down Samuel's sermon this morning to three words, the three words would be these, conviction, call, and confidence. Conviction, call, and confidence. And that's going to be our sermon outline this morning. We're going to work through these three words, and we're going to understand Samuel's sermon from these three words. So let's start with the first word. First word is conviction. So the difficult matter with dealing with sin is this fact, sin is inherently deceptive. So when we sin, we often believe that we have taken the best course of action. We sin because we think that 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 way of life is the best way of life for us. And, And we really believe it. We have our justifications. We have our rationale for it. And we believe this for periods of time, even long periods of time. We think the way we're living is the best way to live. And as we think about Israel, this was the case for them. They had their reasons for their sin. Do you remember, Samuel was getting old. And certainly they're asking, the questions are in their mind, well, how long is Samuel going to to live? And what happens when Samuel dies? We We better think forward here and make a plan. Israel could see Samuel's sons were corrupt. They were taking bribes. And and certainly they were thinking, they they were talking among themselves, who would want to deal with Samuel's sons for a generation or more? And then all of a sudden Israel starts looking around. They don't have to look at just what's going on in Israel. They start looking around. They see, well, all the other nations have kings. They have these central governments with strong figures who can rally armies. Well, why don't we have something like that? We don't want to be behind the times. Everyone else is, is moving past us in technology. And Certainly they're asking, why would we want to live without a real defense? Look around us. There's these aggressive nations. There's these raiding armies. There's these terrible people. We need something to keep us safe. And as we think about Israel's situation, this is where they are stuck. They've demanded a king and they don't have any remorse about this sin that they have committed against the Lord. Their consciences are not troubled at all because they think they've taken the best course of action. And so in this sermon, Samuel goes to work, and before anything good can happen to Israel, before the Lord and His people can dwell together in peace, there has to be conviction in the hearts of God's people. And so Samuel begins this work of conviction by focusing in on his own ministry. And as he does this, he stresses both his integrity and his faithfulness. Samuel tells us that he has served the Lord before Israel from the days of his youth. He has a, a lifetime of ministry. He has preached the word to them. He has led them. He has judged them. And Samuel says, I have been faithful this whole Time I have never used my position or my power to bring harm upon God's people. I've never taken, I've never defrauded, I've never oppressed or, or crushed anyone. And as we listen to Samuel preach to these people, his sermon is moving. You have, to, you have to see this. You have to picture this in your mind. Here is Samuel, and here are the people of God. In chapter 12 verse three, Samuel says this: "Here I am." Samuel's saying, "Look at me testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. And as we take this in, we think, well, this is an odd way to begin a sermon. Especially when we know what's going on in Israel, these people are sinning against the Lord. And why does Samuel begin this way by saying, look at me, look at my faithfulness, look at my integrity. Well, one reason is, is rather easy to discern. Samuel feels that it's necessary to defend himself against these people. He had to defend his honor and his integrity and his, and his faithfulness. But there's another motive at work here. Samuel highlights his faithfulness and his integrity, and by doing so, by highlighting this, his character, Samuel sets himself over and against the people of God. And I think the effect is something like this. Samuel's preaching something like this. I have walked in faithfulness and integrity. I have served the Lord with all of my heart, and I've done this my whole life. But do you hear me, people of God? You haven't done so. You haven't walked in faithfulness. You haven't walked in integrity. You haven't served the Lord with all of your heart. And so that's Samuel's warm-up. That's his sermon introduction." And so Samuel, after this, turns his attention to the Lord. Look down at chapter 12, verse 7. Samuel says, Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that He performed for you and for your fathers. And so what Samuel is going to do at this point in the sermon is he's going to take Israel on a journey through history. He's going to remind them of covenant history, of what the Lord has done, specifically the Lord's faithfulness and kindness to Israel. And so Samuel takes them back to the the great story of the Exodus. Look at verse 8. Samuel says, When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, Then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And Samuel keeps moving throughout covenant history. He moves them on to more recent history. He reminds Israel of the tyranny of of Sisera. He reminds them of what the Philistines have done to them. He reminds them of what the king of Moab has done to them. And he says this in verse 11. The Lord sent Jerubal and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. So what is Samuel doing here? He's a preacher, and preachers have logic. He's working towards something, and what is he doing? He is setting Israel up for a punch in the gut. In this crash course of covenant history, Samuel's preaching a rather simple message. He's preaching this. Yahweh is a good king. He is full of grace. He is faithful. And he has never disappointed the people of God. He has never faltered. He has never forgotten his promise or his covenant. Just remember how he saved you again and again and again. He heard your cries and he came to your rescue. And this is the punch in the gut. Verse 12, and when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was king. So what is Samuel doing? He's he's preaching, Yahweh is faithful, Yahweh is faithful, Yahweh is faithful. Verse 12, punch in the gut, you are completely unfaithful. And as we take in Samuel's sermon, his sermon is so clear, it's so straightforward. We as readers, as we listen, we can just see how guilty Israel is. Samuel has cornered them. He has condemned them. And there is no wiggle room. But here's the thing about sin. Sin is not only deceptive, so when we sin, we think we're taking the best course of action. Sin also makes us stubborn. We don't want to... Leave our sin. And Samuel understands that his words alone, his preaching alone, cannot move these people to repentance. And and Samuel understands that if anything is good going to happen here, if these people are going to feel sorry for their sin, if they're going to have conviction, the Lord has to show up and has to do something. And So that's what Samuel does. Look down at verses 16 through 19. The Lord shows up and he pushes Samuel's words into the hearts of these people. Just listen to the text of Scripture. Now therefore stand, Samuel says. Stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that He may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel and all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die for we have added to our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. Samuel's been preaching to Israel and the reality is that Samuel's words could be dismissed. They could be ignored. They could be taken as hyperbole. Israel could have been listening there and there's the old man before and They could have just said, oh, Samuel, you're just taking this to extremes. Oh, Samuel, that's not what covenant faithfulness actually means. But when God came, when God sent forth thunder and rain when it never thundered or rained, There was no more maneuvering for Israel. There was just pure and deep conviction. There are two truths that are evident from this text. First truth is this. We will never turn from our sin unless we feel a deep and profound conviction about it. Nothing will happen in our lives unless we are convicted. Second truth goes with the first truth. We will never feel... Deep conviction, we will never have profound conviction unless God shows up and pushes the word of Holy Scripture into our hearts. And this leaves us with an application. The text of Scripture is coming to us this morning and it's asking us Is the God you worship, is the God you serve, is the God you sin against just a character in a book or is he real? Is he just a past figure in in history? Is he an idea, a formula, a hypothesis? Or is he the God who lives and moves and acts? Is he the God who thunders from the the heavens? And the reality that stunts our Christianity, that, that keeps us from being useful and holy, that keeps us stuck in the mess of our sins, is that often we forget, and sometimes we even refuse, to believe that the God that we serve is real, living, active, and powerful. That He is a God who thunders from the heavens. And as we take in this story, we see one of the most important things we can do for our souls is to be a people who are cultivating a lively and accurate knowledge of who this God is. And So the call is, let this scene... Chapter 12, sink into your soul. Here is the Lord your God, a God who thunders from the heavens so that his people might be convicted of their sins. And as we think about it, this is the God we yet meet with today. The God of 1 Samuel chapter 12 is the God that we are in the presence of right right now. He is a living, real, and active God. And so that's the first word, conviction. Now we can move on to the second word, call. And so Samuel's first objective has been realized a deep and profound conviction has been produced in the hearts of these people because God has shown up and has taken Samuel's words and he's pushed them into these people's hearts through the thunder and the rain. And now we're in a position to think about the second word, call. And Samuel is going to call these people because he wants to direct these people back to God. And the call takes place several times throughout this chapter. But we're going to focus in on two verses, verses 20 and 21. And this is where the text gets so interesting. And we just need to linger here. And so we can go back to chapter 12, and we can picture ourselves there. We can, in fact, put ourselves in the shoes of Samuel, or if we dare, we can put ourselves in the shoes of the Lord, and we need to think about this situation. If you were Samuel, if you were the Lord, what would you be tempted to do here in 1 Samuel chapter 12? Well, I might be tempted to press more on these people. You you see, this wasn't the first time that they had done something like this against the Lord and against the Lord's prophets and leaders. This wasn't their, their first sin, really. It seemed that they've made a habit out of doing this sort of stuff. They, they rebel against the Lord. They're dissatisfied with God. They, they turn away from God. And what these people need is they need a leader to stand up in front of them and ream them a bit more. They need to be pummeled by another sermon. They need to be further humbled. They've made this huge mess and now they need to sit in it and they need to have someone to stand there and keep pointing at the mess and say, that's your mess, that's your mess, that's your mess. But, But listen to what the Lord says through Samuel to these sinful people. And we have to understand that this is the Lord's word to us today as well. And what we find in verse 20 and verse 21 is a series of commands for commands, and we just need to work through them one at a time. So the first command is in verse 20. What does the Lord say? Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. This doesn't seem to make any sense. Israel should be afraid. They have sinned. They deserve to die. They have said as much, and we've read the text. God sent a thunderstorm. It seems that God is angry with his people. And as we think about our own messes, the same holds true. We know the truth of the Scriptures. The wages of sin is death. But Samuel, this messenger of God, comes to the people of God and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he says this because he understands that God is not going to give these people what they deserve. Rather, God commands Israel to put away all their fear And this morning, God commands us the same. And he gives us this command because he has decided in his free grace to put aside all of his wrath against us. And verse 20 is a life-giving command for us. When you hear the word of the gospel, Jesus died for your sins... Do not go about your life wondering. Do not walk about in your life confused. Do not linger in doubt. In Jesus, when the gospel is preached, every time we get this command, do not be afraid. God will not carry out His sentence of judgment against you. Put your fear away. And Samuel goes on counseling these people with the gospel. We get a second and a third command in these These two commands go together. And so Samuel goes on after saying, do not be afraid, he says, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. We have to understand that that sin does a relational harm. Sin separates, it disturbs, it divides. And just think about any relationship you have been in. When someone sins in that relationship, there's always this lingering doubt, especially when it's a, a big sin. There's this doubt we're asking in our minds. Well, well, can there ever be full and free fellowship again? Can there ever be a unity again? Can there ever be intimacy and, and joy again between me and this person? And What does the Lord say? He says this, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. What the Lord does is this. He is calling his people back and we can't miss the goodness of God here. The Lord desires no separation, no disturbance, no division between himself and his people. He is calling out through Samuel, come back to me, enjoy me, have fellowship with me. Come and give me your whole heart for I am here for you. I want the fullness of this covenant in joy. And this is so helpful to think about. Because when we sin, sometimes we mistakenly reason. Oftentimes we have such sinful reasoning in our heads that part of our repentance is to walk distantly from the Lord for a season. Perhaps it's best to stop our ministry endeavors. Perhaps it's best to put away our Bible. Perhaps it's best to take a break from prayer. Maybe we need to pull back from the people of God. If you're a parent, you, you understand how this works. You see, your sin, you see your child and your child sins, and so you go to intervene and you bring discipline. And when you bring discipline, there's always this moment when your child gets sullen and wants to move away from you. And what do you do as a parent? Well, if you're instructed in the gospel, you know that, that your job is to bring reconciliation through discipline. And so what do you do? You, you pursue your child, and you overcome those doubts. You, in fact, sometimes even rebuke that, that sullenness. And sometimes we think, in our sin, that the Lord wants to to keep us at arm's length away. And sometimes we believe we need to stay at arm's length away from the Lord, but we need to listen to what the Lord does. He doesn't say, stay away from me. He says this, serve the Lord with all of your heart. Serve the Lord with all of your heart. There is no arm's length counseling here. It is drawn near to the Lord. This is what repentance brings. We get a fourth and final command. Verse 21. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. So the Lord gives us a warning here. There is a temptation for us. In the mess of our sin, we are tempted to look after, to look to empty things. And the Lord gives us this warning because He knows that He alone can save us. He alone can satisfy us and renew us. It is the Lord who delivers us from our sin, not chariots or horses. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us and justifies us, not our righteous deeds or our good works. It is the Lord who can fill up our souls with with joy and happiness, not food or drink or goods. And so as Samuel is counseling these people with the gospel, he is saying, you must fix your eyes upon the Lord and the Lord alone when you are in the mess of your sin because he alone can save and everything else is empty. And so we get the call of the gospel in this text and we need this call of the gospel. We need to be counseled with the gospel. And these commands that Samuel gives us are so simple. But if we give ourselves to these commands, they rewire our minds, and we start to think differently about God and the way he works with us. So now we need to turn to the third word, confidence. So it's interesting to take note of how the Lord deals with his people in chapter 12. So the speech begins with an indictment. Samuel comes and he exposes Israel's sin. And then God comes... He shows up and he confirms Israel's sin. He pushes this conviction into their heart. He thunders and sends rain. But as we pay attention to the text, we we learn that it's God's will not to destroy these people. His desire is to bring them back. And so Samuel preaches the gospel with gracious commands. He says, don't be afraid. He says, serve the Lord. He says, do not turn aside. And all of this, the conviction, the call, prepares us for the most important part of Samuel's Sermon. And the most important part of Samuel's sermon is confidence. And I don't say that flippantly, the most important part of this sermon is confidence. We have to understand this. What ultimately motivates the sinner to move toward God is not thunder or rain or lightning. What ultimately motivates the sinner to turn from his sins is not sharp and penetrating preaching of the law. Those are necessary. Those are good. We cannot dispense of them. But the linchpin, the thing that makes this all work, is the gracious character of God revealed in the gospel. Our great need in our sin is to be persuaded deep down in our hearts That God is faithful to his covenant. That he is generous and good. That in Christ and because of Christ, his heart is turned toward us in love. And that he is both ready and willing to have us in Christ and to remove all of our sins from us. And so often, our trouble, where we get hung up as we deal with our sin, is when we do not understand the character of God revealed in the gospel. This is one of the biggest issues in the Christian life is we really don't understand God the Father. We don't really understand what's in his heart, his love, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness, his kindness. And this is such a sweet work that Samuel does. Here are these sinners and they have committed treason against the Lord, against Samuel. What does Samuel do? He devotes himself preaching on the character of God and what Samuel does is he brings these poor Israelites as close as he possibly can to the cross of Jesus Christ to peer upon the character of God revealed there so listen to what Samuel has to say verse 22 the Lord will not forsake his people Israel forsook the Lord Israel rejected the Lord. Israel broke covenant with the Lord. But behold, there is Yahweh, and he will not break his covenant. He will not turn away from his people. He will not renege on his promises or his plans. And we ask, well, why is the Lord so faithful? Why will he not forsake his people? And Samuel goes on exposing us to God. He says this first. Israel, the Lord is faithful because his reputation is on the line. Why will Yahweh forgive you Why will the Lord take you back again? Why will the Lord reunite with you and dwell with you? Verse 22, for his great name's sake. This is the confidence of God's people. God has tied his reputation to the covenant of grace. And because he has tied his his reputation to the covenant of grace, he will never go back on his word or his promise. And this applies to us. What confidence do you have in your sin? Your confidence is in God's glory. He has tied his reputation to the blood of Jesus. He has made a way of life for you. And for him to go back on that way of life is for him to go back upon his own glory. And he will never do that and Samuel goes on we ask again well why will the lord not forsake why is the lord so faithful and Samuel preaches he says the lord is faithful because it was his decision it was his choice it was his will to redeem a sinful people for himself verse 22 because it has pleased the lord to make you a people for himself we have to remember that no one forced the Lord to redeem and save Israel. No one pigeonholed God into taking sinners to himself. No one persuaded God. No one was arm wrestling with God. You must send your son into this world to save sinners. It was God's choice. It was God's delight. It was God's pleasure. He did all of this because it pleases him. And that builds our confidence in God. And as we listen Israel we see what he does well as we listen to Samuel speak to Israel we we see what he does and it's it's remarkable What does Israel need to see in their mess of sin? Well, they need to see their sin. That's clear, but that's not all that they need to see. They need to see the Lord, their God, abounding in steadfast love, mercy, and grace. They need to see that this Yahweh is committed to his glory and he will not go back on his promises or his covenant. They need to see that God takes pleasure in saving sinners and drawing sinners to himself. And that's the same exact thing we need to see. There is nothing like the love and mercy of God that will motivate you to repentance. What you see in chapter 12 of God here is the greatest motivator to repentance. That's not the only thing Samuel has to say to Israel. He goes on and he continues his work of building up the confidence of God's people. Look at verse 23. There's an interesting way Samuel works in the sermon. He begins with himself. He goes to the Lord, and he goes to the Lord as he applies the gospel, and then he goes back to himself, verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Israel's rejected Samuel just like they rejected the Lord. The Lord's not going to forsake his people. And Samuel says, I'm not going to forsake you either. I'm going to go to the Lord and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to lift up your needs to Yahweh. And I am confident that he will hear me and he will meet your needs. As we think about what Samuel does here, doesn't this remind us of something else? Someone else? Doesn't Samuel remind us here of another character we meet in the Bible, the greatest character we meet in the Bible? Samuel reminds us of Jesus. And if we're paying attention, verse 23 is the pledge of Christ to our own souls. In our sin, in our mess, we we need to remember what Jesus Christ is for us. Jesus Christ has ascended into the heavenly places for our sake. And there in the heavenly places, he makes intercession for us. He prays for us. He lifts up our needs to the Father. He calls upon the Father to meet our needs. He advocates for us. And he says to us this day, Take Samuel's words as the words of the Son of God. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and in the right way. That's Jesus for us. He will not turn away from his people, but he will continue to pray, continue to intercede, and continue to instruct us in the way that we need to go. And as we take in Samuel's words, this is the confidence that we need. We don't shrink back from God because we know that we have Christ and Christ is where we need Him. He is at the right hand of the Father and He is doing the work that we desperately need. He is speaking to God on our behalf. And He never takes a break from that work. He never turns away from us. And so as we listen to chapter 12, we get confidence. We get confidence because we can see the character of God. And we can see that we have a mediator, a mediator greater than Samuel. We have Jesus Christ himself. And so what will we do with our sin? We all have our messes, don't we? Some of them are bigger than others. What are you going to do with your mess today? Well, chapter 12 gives us the instruction that we need. We need conviction. Nothing will happen without it. And we need God to show up and push the word of the scriptures into our hearts. And then we need to hear the word of the gospel. and We need to be counseled by the gospel because we have all these messed up ways about thinking about God and the way God works with us. We need to hear the commands of the gospel. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. God has put aside his wrath in Jesus. We need to hear the commands, serve the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn aside. And we desperately need confidence. God is good and gracious. We need to remember that we have a Samuel, a Samuel who has ascended into the heavenly places and who works for us even now. Do you have a mess? Well, all that you need is found in chapter 12 of the book of 1 Samuel. And so I bid you this morning, go to chapter 12 and find the grace that you need. Go to chapter 12 and find the confidence that you need. Go to chapter 12 and find the conviction that you need. It is all there. Will you dig and will you take it for yourself? So let's close now. And I want to close with the words that Samuel concluded his his sermon, his last address to Israel. And his... Closing words, they press the gospel upon Israel once more. And they don't only do that, but they set us up for the rest of the story. Because the rest of the story is going to hinge upon what Israel does with these two verses. Chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. Samuel says, and this is how he ends his career. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the counsel of the gospel. We need it. We depend upon it. And so we pray now, would you do a mighty work in our hearts, even now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.